The word multimedia is the use of a variety of artistic or communicative media using more than one medium of expression or communication. Café is a type of establishment that serves coffee and is known as a place where information can be exchanged. The following is the audio version of the Multimedia Café. And a happy Wednesday, February 13th to you folks, one day before Valentine's Day here at the Multimedia Café. Have you gotten your Valentines? We did. We already picked them up. In fact, we did it on Monday. Can you believe that? That's how on the ball we are here at the Multimedia Cafe. Okay, now that I'm done bragging, just want to say, before I get things going, the Multimedia Cafe, a place where we like to have it in exchange of ideas and interaction, if you will. It's kind of a place where we like to talk about the news, talk about life, the cafe, cafe talk, if you will. And the multimedia. Well, that means that our interviews happen over the phone. They could happen over Skype, maybe Facebook. And we even still do interviews face-to-face. -face. Imagine that. What a concept. Face-to-face. -face. My goodness. Probably not too many millennials on the show with that thing, huh? Oh, geez. Look at me making jokes this early on in the program. Well, let's take a look at what we got going on in the program here today. Uh, we kind of have a busy show. And Greg Hennessy, the co-founder and chairman of the board of the North Star Caviar Company, Gives a little history on the Midwest caviar industry and how they found their niche market with paddlefish eggs. Now, there's kind of a big con going on in the world of caviar. Uh, Western Europeans, they love caviar. Anyway, so there's a big brouhaha going on in the Ozarks about some, some uh, counterfeit caviar, if you will. But uh, we're going to talk to Greg Hennessy about his caviar, which is world-renowned. World renowned out of Williston, North Dakota. They do caviar. Can you believe that? Biggest, uh, I think, what did he say? Like 85% of his market comes from outside the United States. Some unbelievable number like that. So, okay. Who else do we got coming up on today's program? Nicholas Beerus with Magna Beerus Oil. They're out of Wyoming. Gives an update from the Illinois Basin. That's in Kentucky. And their $75,000 well. They figured out a way to drill a well at seventy-five grand. Seeing good returns on that. They also signed a deal with an international major oil company. The other thing, though, the main reason why we brought them on the show, I just like to get updates down in the Illinois Basin down in Kentucky because they're doing one of those old-school vertical things. Anyway, but uh, Beerus, who's headquartered in Wyoming, talks about their Paradise, California office and the wildfires, how it impacted and the move they had to go through and literally had to leave everything behind when they got notification that they had to evacuate one day they were working the next day they showed up we're working and somebody said you have to evacuate you have to evacuate now and they left the laptops everything behind burned down to the ground and then they had to restart so they had to redo their entire you know business and that's it was their accounting office out in paradise so not their entire business but man imagine that just all of a sudden caught in a wildfire and your business gets burned to the ground and you got to start over kind of start over because so much is in the cloud we talk about that too about how a lot of the files are in the cloud but then you got to take the time to retrieve those files and filter through and figure out what the heck happened all well life continues to go on so it seems easier than it really is i mean it's we talk about that about how this isn't just pulling a checklist off of the web and doing that someone's got to actually do the checklist and it takes time so Good conversations today. Nicholas Beerus, Magna Beerus Oil, 
Greg Hennessy, the co-founder and chairman of the board of North Star Caviar. My name is Jason Spies. This is the Multimedia Cafe, and I thank you folks for choosing us today. We know you can get your content from a million different places. I've said it before. I go to the gas station, and Steve Harvey's giving me news right at the gas pump. I got billboards that are giving me news now, and taxis give me sports scores. I mean, you can't make it up. You get your content from almost anywhere, so thank you very much for choosing the Multimedia Cafe and the Crude Life Media Network, a place where you always get exclusive interviews. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we're going to talk with Greg Hennessy with North Star Caviar. Uh, this is Greg Hennessy calling you from Williston, and I am the uh, founder and current chairman of North Star Caviar. The founder? Well, we've got uh, the man who knows pretty much everything about this, then, Uh Let's start off by just tell us a little bit about your business. You know, people think of caviar in North Dakota. I, I can't imagine that's a, um, something that is is known by almost everybody. I mean, is are you are you guys fine? Do you guys have a, a, a lot of uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, international notoriety. The short answer, Jason, is yes. We have an international reputation, uh, which has been there since our first production year of 93, and the reason for that is we supply the bulk of our wholesale product as opposed to our retail uh, to the Caribbean cruise lines, and an even larger percentage uh, of our gross uh, goes to Japan. That's outstanding. Um, how, how long ago did you start this company up? to get our one-of-a-kind fishing license from the North Dakota legislature in conjunction with Game and Fish uh, back in 1992 legislative session. And uh, we did a startup and first production season in 93. Now, you mentioned a specialty license. Um, I, 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 the first question, the reason I stumbled over myself is I was going to say I don't think there's a lot of competition in the state for this. And when you said specialty permit, is, it, is yours kind of a one-of-a-kind type of a permit, or how does that work? Uh, I didn't catch the last part of it, but so far as the history of that license, the, the, the background or the historical footnote is it was illegal at the time that uh, we applied for uh, legislative permission to harvest paddlefish and make the caviar uh, because some Tennessee bootleggers, uh, if I can use the term, were showing up at the Yellowstone, Missouri confluence in uh, the 80s 
and they were buying the gut files out of the paddlefish at a garbage barrel, and, and uh, they got to a point where they were so eager to get those gut files that they were uh, giving new pickups away to the fishermen in exchange for the fish gut. Uh, whereupon the wardens figured out that these guys were bootlegging uh, the eggs out of the gut piles and making a, more than uh, enough money to buy those pickups. They were bootlegging the paddlefish eggs. That's unbelievable. Um, interesting, interesting. I, I got to tell you, I was not expecting that. Uh, talk to me a little bit about the marketplace that you have. I, of course, a lot of people think of the, uh, I think it's the sturgeon or the Russian sturgeon beluga caviar. Um, you, you've got a great account with uh, the cruise line. Uh, talk to me about your particular niche or your particular market share that you've got across the globe. Well, um, the sturgeon story uh, and the Russian product that comes out of the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea uh, traditionally, and I'm talking back to pre-Russian Revolution, uh, the Tsar, etc., centuries ago, there, there were four species of sturgeon. The beluga, which has got an egg berry about the size of double-eyed buck, and then there were three other ones, uh, Savruga, Ocetra, and Golden. And Golden was not allowed outside of the Russian Tsar's court. That didn't even make it to Paris. But it happens that the Sevruga, an egg berry, which is about the size of a BB, and it ranges from uh, dark olive green to gray to black, is an identical size to the North American paddlefish. And, in fact, all the blind tastings that we've conducted over time uh, have proven that human taste buds cannot discern the difference between two properly made batches of North American paddlefish and Sevruga uh, sturgeon. Mr. Hennessy, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought for just a moment. We're going to take a brief break. When we come back, we're going to continue the conversation with Greg Hennessy, the co-founder and chairman of the board of North Star Caviar. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe. Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spees. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Except next, we know that we're going to continue the conversation with Greg Hennessy. He's the chairman of the board and the founder of the North Star Caviar Company. And the proof of that is that uh, about 15 years ago, uh, some Russian mafia operating on the East Coast had managed to get a hold of a wholesale lot of uh, North Star Caviar, they took it offshore, relabeled it as Russian, and brought it back to the Port of Baltimore, whereupon the uh, Fish and Wildlife Service brought down a 25-count indictment in there in the pen. 
And the only way that they busted them was through DNA. So I've spent a little bit of time in Montana last year at the uh, inlet, which is near Sydney, uh, I think um, south of Sydney, north of Glendive, and they snag the paddlefish from there uh, as they go, go back to Lake Sakakawea. Do you guys have any sort of um, uh, um, contract or deal or relationship with Montana when it comes to uh, your, your harvesting your eggs? Uh, the short answer is that we've worked hand-in-hand uh, hand with them since our startup days. Uh, the turnover on the Glendive Chamber Committee uh, has been higher than what the turnover of our personnel has been for the Friends of Fort Union and the Williston Chamber, who are the two venture partners here. And so we've had, uh, I'm going to say, more consistent management in in our operation but the fact of the matter is uh, that we share the same resource because if you look at it from a cattleman's point of view we've got the nursery and the feedlot in Lake Sapakawea because the dam is on the Missouri garrison but the fish naturally need the spring runoff from the mountain uh, snowpack and it comes down the free-flowing Yellowstone as opposed to the Missouri, which it used to do. Fort Peck screwed that up. But the Yellowstone, being free-flowing, has sufficient CFS during the spring uh, runoff that it triggers the spawning urge in the paddlefish. And so what they do is they come up out of the feedlot, which is Lake Sapakawea, and they make the corner at the Yellowstone-Missouri confluence, which is where... We have our uh, caviar plant, and they turn the corner and go up the Yellowstone 100 miles to Glendive, and then the Glendive people get a chance at the harvest. And in addition to that, I should mention that we have funded since year one a joint biological study that's conducted by uh, Professor Dennis Starnecki out of University of Idaho at Moscow, Another Russian connection, you might say. Um, but anyway, Dennis has got uh, 40 years into this paper assuring the viability and the long-term sustainability of that fishery. And we also share a quota system with them. When we first started, it was 1,500 fish each, and for the last 10 or 12 years, it's been 1,000 fish each. <clears throat> Are you guys a, a for-profit, non-profit? We're a 501c3 non-profit. Okay, and then when it comes to, I mean, we're talking about a prehistoric fish. Um, I'm sorry, we're talking about a prehistoric fish here that I would imagine there'd be quite a bit of regulations involved. And, you know, you mentioned it; they were illegal beforehand. And then working through the state legislature, what, <clears throat> what, what type of oversight is involved from, say, the environmental aspect or the health department, just your working relationship with North Dakota in order to make your system operate there? Well, be, because of uh, the potentiality of an endangered species claim, which, you know, it's easy to throw that uh, red flag in the air, and the reason for the biological 
white paper study that's been consistently ongoing is we we have got a complete biological underpinning for the sustainability of the harvest that would defeat any endangered species moves that might be made by PETA or ASPCA or any one of those uh, type organizations. So we've got a defensive perimeter around our operation to assure the quality and the sustainability of the paddlefish. And in fact, you know, when you talk about the prehistoric fish, I suppose all fish are prehistoric because none of them write history books. But anyway, the walleyes uh, happen to be the single most serious threat to paddlefish. The walleyes in Lake Sakakawea feed so heavily on paddlefish they can almost wipe out the complete uh, year class of fingerlings. So is there anything being done of that? Because I could imagine the walleye versus paddlefish uh, argument would be very difficult for the paddlefish. Well, uh, I don't, I don't guess I get uh, my arms around uh, the difficulty between the argument. Both, both fish historically were in the free-flowing river before Sakakawea and Oahe and Fort Peck, et cetera, were built. So the, they've always existed. Uh, although I suppose the walleyes didn't come along until after the paddlefish, but <laughs> they have coexisted in the river system from time out of mind. And the, the fact that the lake is there and causes the paddlefish to bunch up in certain areas of the river, well, you know, the predatory fish, regardless of whether it's a shark in the ocean or it's a walleye in fresh water, if they see a bait ball, they attack it. You know, that's the grand design of their biology. Um, and so, you know, there's just an interplay between that predator-prey base. The, the paddlefish live on algae, and the walleyes live on everything else they can get in the mouth. When it comes to the um, uh, local marketplace and uh, the local area of Williston. Uh, how involved are you guys with either uh, do donations to the community or selling at the local grocery store? What kind of footprint you got in Williston, North Dakota? Uh, the, the Williston and the North Dakota Montana footprint on a retail basis is probably less than 5% of our gross sales. And that's entirely cultural, Jason. Um, you know, we're used to putting a piece of a cow's hindquarters in our mouths and just thinking it's the greatest thing since, uh, pardon the pun, sliced bread. But uh, if you are not raised in the tradition of eating caviar, or there's, there's another more common uh, Russian product when the egg berries shell out or break, it's called fish butter. And it, because it's not in the round anymore, it's... It, you know, considered a second-tier product, but it's an identical nutritious product. The, the Russians, for example, are raised on that stuff, and they can't get enough of it. Um, and I suppose you could say the same of the French that have the wherewithal to, to pay the price for it. Uh, but in Russia, it's, you know, it was commonly available basically as a peasant food, just as oysters used to be back in the colonial times in North America. But, uh, you know, the, 
the average North Dakotan who wants a state or a walleye, but they are not going to go running looking for caviar. And, and so that's why the Japanese that have a very aquaculture-oriented food base, uh, the, the Japanese and the Russians, huge, huge markets. Uh, I can tell you, for example, that the Agricultural Experiment Station in Sydney, Montana, had 30 uh, Russian uh, agronomists over here about, oh, this is getting to be 18 years ago or so now. And they happened to be here during harvest. And so they brought them over on a tour of a caviar plant. And, you know, we were North Dakota nice, to borrow a phrase. And so our processor offered them some samples out of the cooler, whereupon they proceeded to get out tablespoons like a bear with a bowl of honey, and they would have cleaned the cooler out if he had not politely suggested that they probably had had enough. And that was Greg Hennessy, the co-founder and the chairman of the board of the North Star Caviar Company. Multimedia Cafe can be found on social media as well as part of a network. We're part of the Crude Life Media Network. Go to thecrudelife.com for all of our interviews, social media pages, information. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe. You know that I've lived, yeah, you know that I've tried. Well, I've told the truth, yeah, you know that I've lied. We all do what we do so we can survive. Now I was two years old when John Lennon died. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation. A place where you never know who you're going to run into or what you're going to talk about. Coming up next, Nicholas Beerus with Magna Beerus Oil. Nicholas Burrs, Magna Beerus Oil. Outstanding. Thank you for joining the program today. Of course, we like to check in on the, I believe it's the Illinois Basin in Kentucky, where you've got the $50,000 well or the something, $100,000 well. What is it again? Give me the update. I've been dying to know what's been going on down there in the Illinois Basin. Well, we're still holding at a $75,000 oil well from completion uh, stage all the way. You, know, you see what happens when I, when I don't have my notes? i got to split the difference. <laughs> <laughs> seventy five grand though, that is a – okay, for some of the listeners out there, uh, the reason I said 50 at 100, because if it's 100, that's unheard of. And so if you guys have figured out a way to do it at $75,000, let us not – Let's not just skirt over that quick. Talk about just real quickly. Talk about how that is a magnificent feat in itself. Well, I think I've explained in past shows that we had before done oil wells in Texas, Louisiana, Oklahoma, so forth and so on. But the problem we had was that if we ever drilled a dry hole, we took us instead of a couple of months to recoup our money because oil prices used to be well above a hundred dollars a barrel. Uh, when they got down to 20, 30, 40, even 50 like they are right now, it took a long time to recoup our money. So we were looking for a place that we could go where we could get good production for a minimal cost. And we looked into the Illinois Basin and found out that we could actually drill and complete an oil well for only $75,000 where the investor basically gets about 75% of the net revenue that comes out of the well. 
and uh, we could do several of those only 450 feet apart in the Illinois basin. So we made the choice to go there. And when we got there, we had some good success. We, we haven't left yet. So we've kept our prices the same and we're still hitting oil wells. Are you guys still looking for investors? Oh yeah. We're always looking for investors. We have over 2,500 acres that we can drill an oil well, 200, I'm sorry, 450 feet from a previous sister well. So we've got plenty of room to do oil wells. We've, we've actually signed on with a company called Northwest Oil and Gas, which is, I can announce it at this point in time, they actually are going public here in the United States are a German company, but they've actually signed on with us to start drilling under the same, you know, $75,000 a well price tag. And we welcome anybody and everybody, either major companies or small companies that want to come out and make some money that uh, we're ready for them. Unlimited number right now. And you said Northwest oil and gas? Yeah, Northwest oil and gas. And, you know, the other thing is like, you know, 75 grand, that's something that the average person can either uh, afford. And by average, I mean, you know, maybe above average, but at least they can come maybe with some buddies, pool it together, that sort of thing. That's not a large number, 75,000. I mean, you're talking about a down payment on a house in some instances. So um, what kind of, are, are, are anybody seeing returns? Because I know the oil industry, you know, a lot of times uh, speculative and volatile and those those kind of those uh, uh, fearful buzzwords come out from time to time. Are any of your investors seeing any success at all? Are you guys finding success down there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're finding success. It's averaging. I mean, it's like any other thing. You don't know how much oil is actually going to come out of an oil well. You could have one well do 50 barrels a day, and the next one drilled a couple feet from it's only going to do two barrels a day. Cool. It's just the oil business. But if you could, I would tell everybody, if you can live between a 30 and 40% yearly return, uh, you know, it's good to come in down here and do something like that. Now, we're not going to get the big returns I do in Texas where you put, you know, $5 million, you can get $5 million back in a year. But if you put $75,000 down, you could get anywhere from half of that to the all of it back within a year. And then it keeps producing that way, you know, a good two or three years. You're going to see a little bit of decline, but it's only like 7% a year after that. So, Well, and that's the know. one thing with some of these, um, and you're a vertical, that's right? That's a vertical? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. With, with the hydraulic fracturing, the one thing they're finding out is the um, the drop-off rates faster than they thought. And it seems like that's happening more and more and more uh, with the hydraulic fracturing to where, you know, that curve is just dropping and so they got to go and do the refracts, whatever else. But what you're describing to me sounds a little bit more like that slow and steady wins the race thing versus the hydraulic fracturing, which is the boom. Well, we've got we've got well, and this is kind of like when people look at the Illinois basin, they say, well, we've went to like the Kentucky Division of oil and gas. We found out that the average production there's only one or two barrels a day. The reason it's showing that is because the wells they drilled in the '70s are still pumping oil today. So if you're taking a well that's only doing a quarter barrel a day, and then in the 80s it's doing you know half a barrel a day, and then in the 90s it's doing one and two, and you average them all together, that's what you get. But we have actual uh, geology from uh, a major university here, which is Kentucky University, did one of them. And you can find that out at the uh, Kentucky uh, Division of Oil and Gas website. They've done a report on Kentucky. And area we're drilling in, they've seen anywhere from 5 to 10 to 20 to 30 barrels of, of initial production when it came in. But it's like anything else. You can do great Texas, too, and get, you know, two or 300 barrels a day. But eventually that's going to pan out and it's going to drop. And it does the same thing here. But that's why I say if you can live with a 30 to 40, 50 percent per year return, that's not a return. It's just going to be one year and quick. You're looking at, a you know, five to six years under that same return. So that's why we like it down here. It's an easy, easy hit. All right. Exciting stuff. I always love an update from the Illinois Basin. One of those ones you don't hear about very often. Of course, the Permian, the Bakken. 
the Hainsworth, the Eagleford, the Niobrara, the Marcellus, those seem to be the ones that take most of the headline. But there are other ones out there. You know, you got the you got the Tyler, you got the Spearfish, you got the Kentucky, you got the Illinois. So it's fun to get um, an update every now and then. But let's get into the other topic. The reason why I gave you a buzz here, uh, the reason why we're having you on the program to talk a little bit about what's going on in California. Well, a lot of, yeah, it, it was really, it was an interesting story because a lot of people don't know Magna Burzola, we are a Wyoming corporation, but we have, we don't have all our offices in Wyoming. Uh, managing members of our company ha- each have their own office in their location, and one of those locations was actually Paradise, California. And I had a call after the fire in Paradise, and they said, well, our office caught on fire, and I was expecting like a little off, you know, a little, uh, computer fire or something like that and i said well i'll just tell them to fix it they said no you're not watching the news are you and i have to tell you you know when you get out drilling oil well sometimes you don't get cable and all that good stuff so you, you miss out on the news but they said the building burned down and i was you know my reaction was you know what about our interest they said no you're not understanding the whole town burned down so <laughs> right now it's impossible to put a building back up in paradise so it's our, our accounting office is actually and it's one of our county offices, but it held most of our main records. It was moved to a different location, and right now they're up and running again, thank goodness. And uh, just wanted to let everybody out there that is associated with Magdeburgs know that you may have thought you were being ignored or something at some time, but we had to retrieve all our files files from Internet space. And uh, we're oil people, not computer people, so we had to bring somebody in to help us do that. But we're back up and running now, and everything's great. I just wanted to kind of take this opportunity because uh, you, you, your organization's interviewed us a few times, and we do have people that listen to your program, where everybody know everything's okay. And hey, we're back up and doing what we need to do. So this was the, obviously the wildfire out in California. Yeah. So did you have an opportunity to talk to anybody that worked there to get kind of a boots on the ground, what they're experiencing? Well, yeah, that's, I mean, what, that's what I was saying. Yeah, the lady, the lady that runs the office, uh, she was telling me that uh, they were sitting there just, you know, one day it was okay. And the next day, all of a sudden, they were getting, you got to evacuate, and they got to evacuate. And they didn't even have time to get any of the records out. They didn't have time to move anything. The computers went down. Uh, the files went down. Everything went down in the fire. So, so that's how, why it kind of took us a while to, to regroup because it was, it was all destroyed. Well, how do you deal with that? I mean, because this was your business, and this was, well, it was a, a, a office location, but you have so many other people that are not, a part of that wildfire so they're not impacted and you know how it is out of sight out of mind and if it isn't part of our daily life you know we don't know about it so um how how did you guys deal with that i mean obviously you probably sent an email out or something like that but just walk walk me through a little bit about uh just how you guys and this is part of it by the way we should point out part of this is getting on this program and letting people know that hey this is what happened you know like you said we weren't trying to ignore you We, we got burned down and you know, it, because people are busy. There's so many different ways to to contact people. There's so many different ways to ignore right. people and that sort of thing that you almost have to take different avenues just for something as, as you know, you would think as easy to tell people as, as a wildfire burned our office down. But I should point out, this is part of you telling other people. But talk to me about some of the other things that you guys have done and uh, just that whole process because... You also have another business that you got to run called Day to Day Life. Oh yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, when we our investors are our main concern because they keep our lifeblood running, and we weren't able to. Our server and everything went down. It wasn't a situation where I could just get on the internet and change stuff because our server was actually private, so it went too when it went. 
But uh, we, we did what we could by emails. We did what we could by, uh, you know, phone calls from what the records we had. Now, you know, you're going to have some people, like you said, they're going to complain about things because they didn't get notified. It wasn't because we were trying to be vicious or, or not, you know, informative. It's because the information was in Internet land and we had to retrieve it before we could contact anybody. So, Mr. Nicholas Beers, hold that thought for just a moment. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation with Nicholas Beers with Magna Beers Oil. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe. Another sunny place, I'm lucky I know, but I want to go home. I miss you, you know, but let me go home. I'm just too far from where you are. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Well, coming up next, we're going to continue our conversation with Nicholas Beerus with Magna Beerus Oil. You know, you're going to have those that complain. You're going to have those that say you're not going fast enough for me. you got people that say, where's this, that, and the other? And we try to say, you know, be patient. Let us fix this first, and we'll get all your information to you, but... Was there anything uh, you know, that you guys didn't have, like digital? Uh, obviously, if you had things in the cloud or if um, there's some things that were digital, you could save it or backed up on well, hard drives, that sort of thing. Yeah, everything was backed up in the cloud. I, I guess that's what they call it. Yeah. I'm old, man. I'm not, a, I'm not a computer guy, but I guess it's called the cloud or whatever, something else similar to that. But it just had to be retrieved, and then they had to go through it. I mean, it was just a long, drawn-out process. It wasn't just as simple as someone saying you push a button and everything's back. It's not like that. It was more to it than that. We had to find saved emails that were in the server, and there's just a whole bunch of stuff. And, yeah, uh, I kind of chuckle because, um, you know, I'm setting up, I'm helping a, a, some universities set up podcasts for their uh, um, for their business departments. One, one of the consulting things we do on the side is help people, you know, set up podcasts. You know, we've been doing doing radio programs for 25 years, so we, we have a little experience. And so when we start pointing out, some of the things that they got to do just on a day-to-day they their eyes get really big and i look at them and i say listen the pipeliners podcast the guy's a ceo for a company and he does it on the side and he employs four people just to do his weekly podcast just because it sounds easy in your head and you can find a checklist online and you can there's still the action of somebody's got to do the actual work and that's where i see where you guys are that yeah, it might be easy to, you know, retrieve it from the cloud and, and, and get back at it, but there's an actual timeline and somebody's got to actually do that. And like I said, you guys had your daily lives to worry about. You got to stop or pull away from your daily lives in order to now retrieve those files and redo to make sure everybody's got communication and that sort of thing. Um, how does that work remotely like that? I mean, is that, has that strengthened you guys or are you still trying to figure out how to work through the chaos? Well, no, it, actually the process that we use is very strengthening for our company because if you think about it, one of the main things when you deal with an oil and gas company as far as doing an oil well is their overhead. Um, you know, 
and I'm not, I'm not going to say a certain region or anything, but there's places you could drill a well for $300,000 and complete it for the same amount, but they have to charge 700000 And it's not, a, it's not a, a, a bad thing for them to do that. It's just that they have overhead, they have office expenses, they have employees, and they have to pay for those too. And it's like you buy a car at an auction. You know, you have a right to make a profit off something you own. And if they're going to, you know, release an oil well for somebody to drill, and they're going to lose so much income by somebody paying to drill, they deserve a little profit on top of it. Everybody does that in business. But if you can keep your overhead low, and that's what we kind of do is with our members, each member has a specific responsibility when it comes to the company, and they have their own office, and they cover their own overhead. So we do not have to put in those prices. Uh, that's why we can keep it at $75,000 is because the members are already business owners somewhere else. and They're using a portion of the profits from that business to run their offices to enhance magnifiers or keep us in, in check. So when you have one that goes down, like in paradise, um, you know, it hurts because they have all the passwords, they have all the backups, they have everything. And if everything's gone, you know, they've got to start over. They got to get computers. They got to place to put the computers I don't think people realize everything, even their laptops were gone. They, you know, they just, they had to leave. It was like, you have to leave now. It was a situation where can you pack up and go when they knocked on the door, they had to go. And before they got out, they could see the flames and everything was gone. So that's, that's how fast that fire was. I don't think people understand that when it comes to a forest fire, it's not like you see in TV and in the movies where they can walk through the fire and the smoke's gone, but they still save somebody. You know, if you ever get an actual fire, an actual forest fire, you, you can't see. You got to leave. There's too much smoke. It just—I mean—it's just—it's devastating, and that's what happened to Paradise. And uh, like I said, they moved now. And they're back open. They've got everything out of the cloud. They got their computers back in. They're—they're they're at full function. So you know, hey, we're back. That's the best I can say to everybody. <laughs> Is there um, any, I guess, repercussional effects that type of thing? That there's any fundraisers or? Is insurance taking care of most of that? I guess I, I, I'm not sure you hear, you hear wildfire. Of course, the first thing that pops in your head is fundraiser, but then where does it, where does the dollars go? Is people having specific ones or, or not? Well, it, type just, of thing? it happened that the, uh, the particular managing member had insurance and she was able to recoup from that. She also had personal funds too. She was a successful business person and she basically just moved everything and started everything over again. So it didn't cost the company anything really because, like I said, it was a separate company. Uh, even though she was an active member, she used that company to do work for Magnaburs, and so it handled it on that end. So it didn't increase our need to increase our prices because it didn't affect our bottom line at all, really. Oh, that's good. That's good. And then, you know, of course, we talked – first of all, everybody's safe, so that's a good sign. But you did mention how it didn't seem to impact – um, your guys' pricing structure and that sort of thing. So that's always nice when you can have some sort of uh, accident, tragedy, blip in the road, if you will, and you don't have to pass costs on to the consumer because anytime you got to stop for gas, hey, man, that takes time. It takes time to pay yeah. for the gas, and it takes time to take the time to do that. And <laughs> you know how it is in business, man. It's a machine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, you guys are, you mentioned out of Wyoming. Have you got any activity going on in Wyoming these days? No, we actually, uh, we were about to go back to Wyoming and do some stuff, and then the gas or oil prices dropped again on us, uh, down in the you know low 50s to the 40s, and it's back up, and it's just fluctuating too much. You know, when you have so much success in one area, and it's working out, I don't think we're going to be moving to Wyoming or someplace like that, or back to that, until the prices stabilize. Um, we thought they'd stabilize when they hit over 70, 
that they fooled us and went back down. And I think if until the international market and everything gets squared away where we know, you know, a decent price, at least where it's not fluctuating 20 or $30 every three months, then we'll move back to Wyoming and Texas and Oklahoma. Because like I said, it's hard to recoup your investment there if you don't hit a major well and you spend a lot of money because the prices are too fluctuation. Too much fluctuation in the prices right now, I get it. Sure, yeah. You know, we, we we are at a little bit of a, a gray area when it comes to pricing. You know, there's some companies that are doing doing well, and there's other ones that, you know, they're not getting the the, the business because we're not at seventy bucks or whatever. You know, that type of thing. Yeah. And you know what I mean by that? There's there's different tiers of uh, people getting businesses and that sort of thing. Um, what are you hearing from some of your colleagues out there? Whether it be midstream, upstream, salmon stream, that type of thing. Are there any you know, uh, certain areas that you're seeing or hearing about more success than others? Uh, well, the Permian Basin, for one, down in Texas, all I hear is that all the time when I talk to people. <laughs> There's a lot of work being done in Indiana and prices. And uh, we've, we're actually getting ready to move into Indiana and Illinois ourselves and do some drilling. Now, those cost a little more money because they're deeper formations. We, we deal mainly in the Carniferous Formation in the Warren County area and Allen and Butler. Um, but you know, we're going to be moving up here in Indiana, Illinois. It's a little bit deep, deeper formations therefore. So it will cost us a little bit more when we do that, but until, and I'm going to say it's until we actually put all the wells we can put on those 2,500 acres, we're probably going to stay right where we are because it's just too good. You know, you can take $300,000 and drill one well somewhere and you can take that and drill three, almost four wells where we are now. It just doesn't make sense for us to move. And that was Nicholas Beerus with Magna Beerus Oil. If you'd like to listen to the entire interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, go to our network's page, thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. The Multimedia Cafe is part of the Crude Life Media Network. All of our social media pages can be found there as well. I'd like to thank Nicholas Beerus of Magna Beerus Oil once again for coming on today's program. Greg Hennessy, the co-founder and chairman of the board of North Star Caviar. That's going to do it for today's program. Have a great evening, and remember, folks, tomorrow is Valentine's Day. You know, a little kid Valentine, maybe, you know, Garfield, maybe the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, maybe even, you know, The Rock or John Cena. That that Valentine with a stick of Juicy Fruit or a lollipop will go a long way on Valentine's Day. It's going to go much further than nothing. So with that, we'll be back tomorrow on Valentine's Day. Same radio station, same time. Same podcast if you access it via podcast. From the staff at the Multimedia Cafe, my name is Jason Spies asking you to savor life and enjoy the spice. And give you life. I want to give you life. Because I'll be by your side whenever you fall in the dead of night. Whenever you call and please don't fight these hands that are holding you. Yeah, my hands are holding here in my side Whenever you fall in the dead of night Whenever you call and please don't fight These hands that are holding you And my hands are holding you
by your side Whenever you fall in the dead of night Whenever you call and please don't fight These hands that are holding you And my hands are holding here in my side Whenever